Thanks for joining us online for today's message from our Sunday morning service, where we are learning how to make disciples who love God, love others, and serve the world. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged. For more information about Wilmot Center Missionary Church, go to wcmc.ca. Now prepare your hearts for what God wants to speak to you today. If you're visiting with us this morning, I'm so glad that you're here. I know some have come because of the baptism. Thank you. Others have shown up and haven't been here for a while. So good to have you in our midst. Mono Watson, would you come forward? Mono is, as I said before, the chairman of our elders team. And just, he has been prepared, getting ready, not sure when to fill in. And it just so happened that this was the day that uh, Pastor Randall asked for him to share. And so I want to pray over Mono first. If you've never done this, if you've ever done this, you know how valuable it is to know by the grace of God, he helps us. And that's who we are praying for Mono. Let's pray. So Father, thank you, Lord, for this dear man, this dear man of God, a dear man of faith. Thank you for the leadership that you have accomplished through him as he has shared with us as a church and as an elders team. And now, Father, today we know that he need not worry about what he shall say because it will be the Holy Spirit who speaks through him. Thank you, Father, for each one of us here now who are ready to receive words of life a challenge to move forward, and strength to carry out the challenge. And it's all in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless you, Mother. Amen. Bless Thanks, you. Pastor Wayne. Good morning, church. This morning, I would like to share with you the secret to experiencing abundant joy and peace that so many of us often miss out on in our day-to-day lives. And even if we know the secret, we so often fail to apply it, causing immeasurable suffering quite often unnecessarily. But when we experience it and live it out in our day-to-day lives, we experience life's ultimate adventure. And I'd like to see each one of you experience this ultimate adventure in life and ongoing day-to-day joy and peace. So if you're ready, just turn to somebody. I'm going to invite you to do something we do in the sports world a lot. You're going to make a fist like this. You're going to turn to somebody next to you. If you're ready, you're going to give them a little fist bump and you're going to say, I'm ready. Go ahead. Just a show of hands really quickly. How many of you, that was your first ever fist bump? First ever fist bump. You're a newbie. That's all right. You get the hang of it quickly. I'd like to share with you a little bit of my story. Let's try that again. A little bit of my story this morning. In high school, I had this dream. Well, really two dreams. I wanted to play university basketball. And I wanted to one day wear Canada across my chest. I wanted to play in the Olympics. That was my dream. 
And I was fortunate that I had the opportunity to play actually here locally. I grew up just outside of Windsor, and I came down and played basketball at the University of Waterloo. And at the end of my first year, I decided to try out for the national team, the Canadian national team, the opportunity to wear Canada across my chest. Now, I was just a, a young guy at the time, trying out with players a lot older than me, and it was called the student national team, and they were going to play in the World University Games. And I went to that tryout, and I didn't stand a chance. I realized pretty quickly the players were just much, much bigger, much, much stronger. I was just acclimatizing to university basketball at the time, and it was a huge leap to try and go from university basketball to playing with the best players in the country in order to play against the best university players in the world. And I came back, and they cut me pretty quickly. They usually have a three-day tryout. Mine was about a three-minute tryout. And <laughs> they gave me some things to work on, and I went back with my university coach, and I worked on those things. And so at the end of my second year, I had had a pretty good year. In our conference, I'd become an all-star, and I thought, I think I've got a legitimate shot at this. And I tried out for the team, and that three-minute tryout turned into three hours, and then they sent me home again. And I went back, and I worked on those things that I needed to improve upon. And I, that year, in my third year in university, I was selected as an all-Canadian, one of the top ten university players in Canada. Now, that didn't mean I was a shoe-in for the national team because it's still highly competitive in a two- to three-day tryout. And I went into that tryout, and I broke my nose the first day. And they decided, no, I wasn't that funny. <laughs> no, but I broke my nose, and they wouldn't let me continue the tryout. I told them I wanted to continue. I was fine. The doctor took a look at it, and, and they said, no, you're done, but we'll give you the opportunity when your nose heals to come on back out because I, I just would not get off the floor. I'm like, no, no, you know, once the doctor assessed it, I want to play. And to make a long story short, a few weeks later, I was waiting to hear back from them, waiting to hear back. I reached out. They said, we're not going to let you have the tryout. We've selected the team. We're moving on. Disappointment. Disappointment. But I still had another crack at it because I was going into my fourth year and you could play right up until your fifth year. So in my fourth year, I was selected as an all-Canadian basketball player again and I went to that tryout and I thought I played really well, but they sent me packing after the second day. Four straight years, four straight times I was cut from the national team. But I knew I had one more shot and I knew every year I was getting bigger, well, not bigger in height, but I was getting stronger, and I was certainly getting better as well. And that fifth year, I went back to that tryout again, and that was my final crack at playing in the World University Games, and that was the stepping stone to then being able to play with Steve Nash. Quick show of hands if you know who Steve Nash is. He was the great Canadian hope for basketball, two-time MVP of the NBA, and Steve Nash was going to be the captain of the Olympic team that played in the Sydney Olympics, and if I made that World University team, I was going to have a really good shot of backing up Steve Nash in the Olympic Games. And so I went to that tryout after another year of training, so I'm eight years in to my, universe, in my training, my five years into university, twice having been selected as one of the top players in Canada. And I went through that three-day tryout, not three minutes, not three hours, three days. They take it down to 13 guys, and they've got to cut one more guy. 
we were put on a team, and on that team, we competed against the other teams that were participating, I think kind of groups of four, groups of five, and we played, and my team went undefeated, and I was the point guard, the leader on that team, and I said to the assistant coach, what more does the head coach need to see in order for me to make this team? And he said to me, this is the assistant coach, he said, Mono, I don't know what more you could show. He said, this has just been outstanding. An hour later, the head coach put his arm around my shoulder and he said, Mono, I'm sure you must be feeling pretty disappointed with the way you've played. I had played the best I had ever played in my life. And he said, we're going to be letting you go. Thanks for coming. At the time, I thought, there's only two point guards on this team and every team has two point guards so who else is going to stay on well the university the, the national team coach happened to be a university coach and he had one of the players from his own team who was trying out for that team and he wasn't a point guard but what he decided to do was let me go and move his shooting guard to be the backup point guard as I was walking out of the gym a couple of the guys on the team said where are you going and I said coach just let me go and they said, no. They said, you're going to be a starter on this team. I said, no, I, I'm done. And I walked out, and Kate came to meet me. Utter disappointment. Just complete disappointment. An eight-year dream had come to an end. And I knew that was my shot, the stepping stone to play on the national team. I, I knew I could continue my career professionally. I did for a very short period of time. But in that moment, I didn't want to think about basketball again. I didn't want to play basketball again. And I was angry. I was frustrated. I was disappointed. I was discouraged. And I thought, I'm done with basketball. I, I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to see anyone. This is eight years of my life. And this dream did not materialize. And I was brought back. I was brought back to the source of what gives joy and peace in life. A life of surrender. And as tough as it was, I had to bring myself back to a place of saying, this wasn't my plan. This wasn't my dream, but this isn't my life. This is your life being lived through me. And I had to ultimately surrender. And this morning I want to talk to you about a life of surrender, a journey that I have been on for many, many years, years before that moment and years since. And I, I think it's the ultimate adventure when we learn to not just surrender one time, baptism, an act of surrender, a public profession of an inward working of a heart that has said, I surrender to you, Lord, be my Lord and my King. But what I want to talk to you about even further is a day-to-day -day surrendering, a moment-to-moment -moment surrendering of the things that so easily can rob us of our peace and steal our joy. So let's take a look at a few signs of surrender this morning. Signs of surrender. 
Acts chapter 16, verses 23 to 34. Some of you may be familiar with this story. I won't put it up on the screen. I'll just read it to you. So enjoy. Now, the Apostle Paul had been put in prison with a friend and companion of his named Silas. They were put in prison for the simple act of having healed someone. I won't go into that story. I want to go into the the post or the second half of that story. Acts chapter 16, verse 23. After they had been severely flogged. If you don't know what a flogging is, it's because it doesn't take place in our day and age in North America. But just imagine a really thorough beating. After they had been severely flogged, Paul and Silas were thrown into prison. They were thrown into prison. They didn't have a trial. They weren't found guilty of anything. And what they had done was good. They had healed someone. And that caused others to become quite upset for a number of reasons. They were thrown in prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he had received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So their feet are now chained in the prison. And we can only imagine what the state of a prison was like 2,000 years ago. About midnight, Paul and Silas were, listen to this, this is just shocking. About midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining. No, sorry, I misread that. About midnight, Paul and Silas were blaming. No, I misread that again. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Wait, 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 wait. Let's do a rewind. They were accused of something or falsely accused of stirring up the crowds and creating riots when all they had done was healed someone. They didn't have a trial. They were falsely imprisoned. They were flogged. And now they're shackled in a cell in probably horrible conditions. And they're singing to God. They're not complaining to God. They're not blaming God. Hey, I follow you and this is what you give me. I put my life in your hands and this is where you place me. They're singing to God. Let's continue on in the story. And the other prisoners were listening to them. The jailer woke up. Let me just come on back for a second. A great earthquake took place. And the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul hadn't gone anywhere. Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So let me pause and do a rewind. So they're there. They're being held in prison. God miraculously causes this natural event to occur, which causes the cell to swing, the doors to swing wide open. They are free. Now you think if you were free, the first thing you do is go running. But they don't. They were at peace being in there to such an extent that the doors flew open and they didn't go running. And in fact, the jailer who wakes up through all of this uh, 
you know, whatever he heard, whatever he saw, and he comes running, and he thinks everyone's gone, and he's about to take his own life. Because he realized if these prisoners escaped, his life was going to be over, so it was better for him to take his own life than, to somebody, than for somebody else to take his life. But what he discovers is there is Paul and the other prisoners still there. And he's so shocked and amazed, and I'm sure he would have heard them singing and praying, and he's so taken aback by this, that the jailer calls for the lights, rushes in, and falls trembling before Paul and Silas. The jailer falls at their feet trembling and says, what must I do to be saved? He was so taken aback. He expected the complete opposite reaction to what he discovered. And in seeing that and hearing them singing with joy and seeing their level of peace, he says, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then he spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his household. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. The outward sign of the inward working of what had already taken place in the jailer and his family members' household. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. The jailer came to experience the same joy that Paul and Silas had already experienced. In the midst of being in jail, imprisoned for no wrong, their joy became contagious. And God intervened and worked not to rescue them from that circumstance, but through that circumstance and helped another come to experience God's love. So how did Paul experience that level of joy while being imprisoned? Many of you know this passage, Philippians 4.11, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What was his secret? His secret was very simply a surrendered life. A surrendered life to let God's strength work through his weaknesses. To let God's strength work through his circumstances. To let God's strength work through him to reach others. So I've got a mathematical formula for you today. I want you to do your best to remember this mathematical formula. And it's a really simple one. And here it goes. Complete surrender equals true freedom. Complete surrender equals true freedom. By all accounts, Paul and Silas were not free. They weren't free. They were imprisoned. The exact opposite of what we would think of when we think of freedom. They were in a prison, yet they were truly free. They were truly free because they had completely surrendered. And when we completely surrender, not just as a one-time act, but moment to moment, day to day, when we continue to surrender and when we completely surrender, we experience true freedom. I don't know about you, but there are lots of times I don't experience true freedom. 
And I'll share with you some of the, some of the things that we get hung up on that prevent us from experiencing true freedom. But before I get there, let me just share with you another sign of surrender from Jesus himself. Of course, we know prior to Jesus being put up on the cross, he had a time of prayer, a long conversation with the Lord. And listen to this prayer of surrender. He prayed to the Father. This is hours before he knew he was going to be dying for the sins of the world. He was going to be on a cross. He knew that's why he even came Yet in this moment, he said this, he prayed to the Father, if you are willing, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but thine be done. The ultimate prayer of surrender. Here is my human desire, but not my will, but yours be done. It was just a short time after, now hanging on the cross next to the criminals who were being executed beside him, that he said these words to those who had just put him on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Is there a better prayer of surrender than forgiving others and letting go? In the midst of giving up his life, for those very people who put him on the cross, he turns and says, Father, forgive them. Sign of surrender. So let me just share with you the why, the what, and the how, and then we'll close. The why, the what, and the how. Very simply, the why. Why would we surrender our lives? Why would we surrender each circumstance? Why would we surrender things that go on, on in our lives to the Lord. Well, first of all, there's a common thought today that we thought up God. It's pretty prevalent. God is a man-made construct. We thought of God. We needed something to create rules and to regulate people, and we thought up God. The opposite thought to that is God thought us up. In the midst of creating the world, and the scriptures tell us that in the beginning, God created the, created the heavens and the earth. When I look around, it seems reasonable to me that there's not a lot we created. We can look at buildings, and we can look at all sorts of things. But when we look at nature, when we look at the stars in the sky, when we look at the universe, when we look at the oceans and the mountains, it seems pretty clear to me that somebody else thought all those things up. So it seems pretty reasonable to me that the one who thought up all of those amazing things also thought us up as well and not the other way around. And it also seems reasonable to me that the one who thought us up obviously has a plan, a purpose, and a design for us. So I believe that we can trust and surrender to the one who created us, the one who has our best intentions in mind. In fact, I don't just think these thoughts. Scriptures tell us you know this passage, many of you do at least. And if you don't, then just soak it in and absorb it. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. That's the Lord's desire for each one of us. In other words, the one who made us, the one who designed us, the one who 
who is our maker. The scriptures say he knit us together in our mother's womb. The one who made us has a plan. And we can either fight and resist that plan moment to moment, day to day, or we can surrender to that plan. And it begins with a one-time act, a one-time act of saying, here I am, Lord. You are God, not me, and I surrender to your plan. But then after that, for those of us who choose to walk a life of faith as a disciple, as a follower of Christ, then it becomes a moment to moment. Here's a frustrating circumstance. I just missed my plane flight or the plane flight was canceled. I fly a lot down to the U.S. with my work and often taking connecting flights. And sometimes the first flight will be delayed and I sprint to try and make it to catch the second flight in the in the airport that that I have the the connection in and I get there and the flight was due to take off you know five minutes later and they had already closed boarding and I get there and I'm out of breath sorry sir this flight is going you've missed the flight well you've got two choices in that moment well probably more than two in fact I've seen quite a number of different choices (laughs) lived out by other passengers who were on that same connecting flight get frustrated or you can surrender you can get frustrated or you you can get bitter or you can get better you can get frustrated or you can surrender every one of life's moments has the opportunity for us to either hang on to our expectations hang on to our hopes and dreams that didn't materialize or to or to or to (laughs) surrender or to surrender So the why? Because God has a better plan for you than you could ever ask or imagine and has infinitely more in store for you than you could ever dream of if you'd be willing to say, here is my life. I'm putting it in your hands, not just as a one-time act, but even in this moment, even in this moment of having just missed this plane flight, mono, I have a plan for you. And my ways are not your ways, and you may not be able to understand it. And in those moments, what I'm growing into is just saying, Lord, whatever your plan is. Could Paul and Silas have possibly known what was in store for them? That when they were imprisoned, that the result of them being in prison was going to result in a jailer and his entire household coming to know the Lord. Could they have ever imagined that that was God's plan through being flogged, through being imprisoned, and that he was going to ultimately work it for their good because they were going to have the joy of seeing someone else come to faith and have their life transformed. So often we don't know how the Lord may be desiring to work in and through us. But if we resist, if we, not this, if we resist that, if we resist and we push off whatever is happening to us in that moment, We will not be receptive to experiencing all that God has for us in that moment. And so we can surrender because God, the one who made us, the one who designed us, is faithful. Let's talk about the what. What do we surrender? And it's simple. We surrender past events. Past events. Things that could either be regrets or resentments. That's what I had to do. The past event, it was now in the past. I had been cut from that team. And I could either hang on to that with resentment and bitterness 
or I could let it go and forgive. Not just past events, but present circumstances. Present circumstances. That's what Paul was experiencing when he was singing in prison. He was in the midst of a very difficult circumstance. But he, he hung on to, he hung on to knowing that God works all things for good for those who love him who have been courting, called according to his purpose. Let me say that again. God works all things for good. doesn't mean all things are good. Believe me, it didn't feel very good when I got cut from that team. I'm sure it wasn't very good when Paul and Silas got flogged. But we're given the promise God works all things for good for those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And so we can surrender whatever present circumstance we're experiencing. And then the final one is the future reality. And that's what Christ modeled for us when he surrendered what was about to happen to him. That was his future reality. We don't know the future, but he knew what was coming. He knew that's why he was even sent to earth to die for us, and he surrendered that future reality. The last one is how. The why, the what, and the how of surrender. The how. I think there's two ways. One, with our words, in the form of a prayer or even out loud. Lord, I surrender. And the best way I know how, the best way is with my hands. This act. Just put your hands like this for a moment. You know, we know what this means. This means I surrender. But the difference between this and this, do you know what the difference between this and this is? This is I surrender really against my will. You know, I, I don't want to surrender, but I have to. Don't shoot. I'm waving the white flag, but it's really against my will. This is with my will. This is laying it down. And so whether it's a difficult circumstance with a loved one, a spouse, a child, whether it's a past event that took place that hurt you deeply, that caused disappointment, discouragement, resentment, regret, whether it's a future reality, a worry that you have, something that's causing you stress that has yet to even take place, a dream that's not going to materialize, to surrender that down to. That's the how. And I think it's a moment-to-moment, day-to-day occurrence for the life of the believer. That's really living out, walking with the Lord day-to-day. A day-to-day, moment-to-moment surrender. And that's what Chris Williams has had to experience every day of his life since it happened. I close with this story. It was 2007. Chris Williams and his family in Salt Lake City, Utah were driving to go to the movies. His pregnant wife, his nine-year-old daughter, his 11-year-old son. Driving down the highway, suddenly out of nowhere, An oncoming car swerves out of his lane and into Chris Williams' lane. Had nowhere to go and couldn't react quickly enough. He opened his eyes only to find that the car had been smashed. He was still alive, but no one else in his family made it. As the ambulances came and the medics came rushing in, they heard him say, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened, 
but I forgive whoever did this. I don't know why it happened, but I forgive. And as he was put into the ambulance and discovered that none of his family made it, he continued to say, I forgive them. I forgive them. I forgive them. He later discovered as he was recovering in hospital that it was a 17-year-old drunk driver who had swerved out of his lane. His story, one-time act of surrender, turned into a day-to-day, moment-to-moment as he had to continue on life without those he loved and held so dear. He came to realize that True surrender was an ongoing act. It wasn't just a one-time event that night. And that each and every day, on a moment-to-moment basis, he had to surrender resentment. He had to surrender his hopes and dreams. He had to surrender the past event, his present present circumstance, and his future reality. And he did that day-to-day, and it was turned into a beautiful movie called Let It Go. Let It Go. I don't know what you need to surrender today. There may be some here who have never surrendered their lives to Christ. And at the end of the service, we want to give you the opportunity to do so. There are others that you may be experiencing some level of frustration, disappointment, discouragement, regret, resentment, whatever it may be. And just before I turn things back over to Pastor Wayne, I'd like to just give you 15 or 20 seconds. If you'd like, even while you're sitting there, you could put your hands on your knees and to just think of something in your life that you may need to surrender. Go ahead and take that time now. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful and that we can trust in you through every circumstance in life. And that you fill us full of your abundant joy and a peace that passes all understanding when we surrender completely to you. And we thank you that complete surrender equals true freedom. Complete surrender equals true freedom. Help each person here to experience your true freedom today. And we thank you for the baptisms this morning that will take place and that these individuals are experiencing your true freedom as they've completely surrendered to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening online with us. We trust you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. If you have a prayer request or an encouraging story about what God has been doing in your life, please email us at amen at wcmc.ca. God bless.